unfortunately, uh, as clinicians, the most out of balance thing is usually the easiest thing to see because everything's grouped in that area. So that, that's really the place to start. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. The two months away from clinic was a respite that I didn't know that I needed. The enforced time away from my practice was a relief that I hadn't expected. There was an oddly expansive sense of ease that came with not having to care for others. Returning to practice has made me realize how much I appreciate and value genuine encounters with other human beings. And being in the presence of another, it brings a kind of effervescence, uh, a sense of exchange that goes beyond language and what can be discerned with the eyes. Like a good night's sleep through a night of rolling thunder and rain, the refreshment of a new day can open the mind and senses. I've found in these past couple of weeks, I'm more attuned to how I feel good when a treatment goes well and I tell myself that I've been helpful and how when the results go in an unexpected and negative way that the experience continues to reverberate in my mind. I've heard it said that true equanimity is when you can receive either applause or jeers and neither of those moves you. It's hard and it's easy to write a sense of self-worth that's fueled by the appreciation of others and to wear the hair shirt of self-criticism when with the best of intentions, things didn't go well. This return to clinic has made me keenly aware of, of how often I tell myself the story of who I am based on the interactions and outcomes with my patients. I'm not suggesting that we should not bring our entire selves to the practice of medicine. Indeed, I think we should. But to gauge our self-worth on the outcomes of our work, I suspect is a burden that our patients don't need. And if we're able to sit in a place of quiet observation and attention to how we can best help our patients, then I think it would be better if we're not asking our patients and their particular process of healing to make us feel good about ourselves. Two years ago, I sat down with Toby Daly for a conversation on some acupuncture. That's episode number 45. Two years ago, I was struggling to make sense of a system that seemed overly simple, and yet I couldn't wrap my head around it. Thanks to Toby's generosity, experience, and clarity of thought, I've been able to learn something of the medicine from the heart that was passed along to him from his Buddhist wandering monk teacher. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love 
was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Well, if you spent any time listening to Geological, you've heard me draw a bone from time to time about Sa'am acupuncture. I found it to be an extremely helpful perspective in making sense of how things go in the clinic, the transformations of yin-yang, the five elements, and the six climatic chi. I always look forward to a conversation with Toby Daly, and this one was no exception. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as well. Toby Daly, are you on Geological again? <laughs> hey, Michael Max, uh, thanks so much for having me on again. Well, you know, it's it's always fun to talk to you. What what the listeners don't know is we talk to each other from time to time, and I secretly wish I had a tape recorder going for some of those conversations. So I, I don't know if we're going to be able to capture any of that uh, stuff that we sometimes capture in our conversations, but I'm hoping that we do because it's fun to talk about medicine. In general, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I 
am thinking it is, as we sit down to record this, it is the middle of June, 2020. We sat down to record our first conversation on Sa'am acupuncture, basically two years ago, at this same time. It's been two years since we've been hanging out and doing this stuff, and I'm deeply grateful for that. Yeah, it, it's hard to believe. It seems like uh, we're just getting started, and it seems like we've been doing this forever. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a mixed timeline in my mind. But yeah, two years, I guess, is right. I know that I have learned a tremendous amount in the past two years. Some of it is from you, and a lot of it has been from my clinical experience. One of the things that I most appreciate about this on method is that especially, again, this is just for me, I don't know about other people's experience, but for me, if I take it and I practice it in a thoughtful way, and I do it in a simple way, I just, I make a diagnosis, I treat what I see, I do one side, I don't add other needles, I don't try to do that like CYA, I'm going to put a few needles in here and do some of this and do some of that, or maybe a few ear points. I just have been doing this arm, which is often quite enough in terms of treatment, and the beauty of that is I get very clear feedback to what my diagnosis was, how accurate it was, and what the treatment did. So the system itself for the past two years has been teaching me, which is a wonderful thing. And it's not just taught me about the Sa'am method, but it's I feel like it's been teaching me about the, the interaction of the five phases and the, and the six confirmations as well. There, there's a lot in it. So I've learned a lot, but what I'm curious about is what you've learned over these past two years, because prior to this, you were not teaching. You're just working away in your clinic. You had this idea that you should be teaching it because your teacher wanted you to, but you've got two years now of turning people onto this, and I'd love to know how things are different for you as a result. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, one of the things that um, has been so gratifying for me to hear is that practitioners like you, and I've heard from other practitioners too, they've been able to um, implement the system so well in their uh, clinic and get good clinical feedback too. So that that I was little, I had a little worry about that, right? I was worrying if if I could convey the system to uh, people clearly enough for them to get clinical results. So that's been great. Uh, that's been really gratifying to hear you know people getting good uh, results in their clinic. And just a side thing I wanted to say too, yes, the four points, like you mentioned, that's often, you know, just the exact right amount thing you do. The tendency when you're learning the system is to, to add things or, you know, like you said, ear points or something like that. But a lot of times, you know, the four right points are just, are plenty for the patient to process. And, um, I've mentioned many times that I think about half the treatments I do are about, are just four point combinations. And I think now that I'm thinking about it more, I think even more, more than half, uh, I tend to really work with the, with the four point combinations and not try and rush anything. And a lot of times just with the four points, we can really get people going. Um, that, that's been, especially been my experience this week, right? Uh, four point combinations have been amazing. I thought I would have to do a whole bunch of fancy things. You know, people are coming in, uh, kind of traumatized from COVID-19 and, um, and the riots and things like that. So real tumultuous times and, and, Again, I always start to think, oh, let's do something fancy, but then I come back to the fundamentals, the principles, and uh, it, it's more than enough. It really meets people where they are right now. This is one of the things that has dramatically changed my practice as well. 
And I and I suspect it's because certainly in school there's that thing that we tell each other and we tell our teachers, oh, well, I did this treatment and then I just did these other couple of points just to make sure. And what I have found in my experience, whenever I'm in that place of, oh, maybe I should do this other thing, air quotes here, to make sure, it usually means that I'm not seeing things clearly enough and I haven't really dialed in my diagnosis. And, and it's my lack of clarity that I'm now unfolding in the treatment. And if I can be clear about what I see and give people what they need and nothing more, it's a more powerful treatment. I mean, there's that phrase about less is more. I don't know if less is always more. I think, I think what's right is what's just right. It's more of a Goldilocks and Three Bears thing. You don't want too much. Yeah. You don't want too little. You want what's just right. Too much of a good thing is is not a good thing anymore, right? So, uh, and I, I'm always really cognizant that each point you put into a patient, um, that you you have to take some chi from them to get that. You know, you're going to ask the body to do something. You have to take some chi. So, I'm always really careful mm. about that, especially really deficient patients, right? Um, I'm I'm just really careful the, the number of points I put in. I really appreciate that what what you just said. This is so bizarre. I've been practicing 20 years, and it's like. I'm sure I've heard this before, but I, in this moment with you, just heard it way more clearly. Every time you put in a point, you take away a little chi. And you take away a little chi because you've just asked the body to do something. Often we think about, oh, I'm doing this point to tonify heart yin or whatever. But we're asking the body to do something. And I think, it's, I think that is probably really helpful to remember that every interaction we have it's it the body has to digest that metabolize it so to speak yeah and uh so we always want to you know we want to say for example it, it takes uh one uh, one value of chi for the point for the body to metabolize it we want to make sure we get 10 or 20 values of chi out of it so you know if you just start doing kind of scattershot things and it, it's much more difficult to get a return on your investment uh, with, with the treatment. Uh, whereas if you do really concentrated, it's, it's much easier. You, you invest, you know, it's a little bit like money, right? She's a little, reminds me a lot about money, right? So if you can invest really, uh, carefully into a few, you know, tried and true things, then the, the, the payoff is usually going to be much better. That makes sense. Yeah. The other thing that I have found is especially cause these four points, they're not harmonizing by any stretch of the imagination. They're asking the body to do something in a very direct way. It's, it's not pussyfooting around. And sometimes, because I, I do experiment with things, sometimes when I put other points in, it will dilute the effect of the treatment. It's like I had a really strong, clear statement, but then it's like, oh, now I'm hedging. It's like having a conversation with somebody, yeah. maybe an argument, you know, or or important discussion with your spouse. And instead of being really clear with what you want to say, you go, well, you know, maybe it would be a good idea if... It's like, no, that, that kind of communication is not helpful. Yeah, the, the four points aren't wishy-washy with your message to the patient, right? It's very clear and very strong. And so, yeah, anything else you, you put in there, it, it's nothing's forbidden, right, if you feel like you really need something else more. But, but just like you're saying, clinic will really tell you the four points are enough. And again... I think especially for anyone who's at the beginning stages of using this method and learning this method, 
you're going to learn it a lot faster if you stick to those basic principles and you just stick to the basic four needles because then you don't have to dub, you know, try to uh, second guess yourself about what did what, you know, when people get better or what did what if people got worse. Right. This reminds me of like um, uh, when I was learning Tai Chi, there was different teachers would teach differently, right? Some would really try and do the principles and make you just do things over and over again until you really understood the principles. And some teachers would fly through the Tai Chi, uh, the positions or something, I forget exactly the word for that. But, you know, just to make sure that, you know, you covered all the positions of Tai Chi. And uh, yeah, I was always gravitated more towards the teachers that would do the principles because then then you could, Mm. I mean, you could apply that so many different areas. Whereas if you just did all the positions of Tai Chi, but poorly, but you knew all of them, then that, that doesn't really serve anything. So the core principles are a good place to focus your attention. That this, every time I would stray off, that's what my teacher would bring me back to. You know, I, I, would, I would get caught up in something and my teacher would just pull me back to the principles. So, yeah, that, that's, that's, um, that's just the core part of the Psalm tradition is, is the principles. So when you think about the core principles of Psalm, what would you say the core principles are? They just, they just share the core principles of Chinese medicine. That's why uh, a lot of people, when they come into this tradition, they, they find uh, it, it pretty fascinating because yin-yang, five-phase, six confirmation that they've studied, you know, usually a little bit separately to really pull all that together, all those three core principles, and then use them, you know, every aspect of the, of the system. It's really, um, anyways, it, it gives people a lot of confidence because they've already used these, you know, a lot of, you know, especially long-term practitioners use these, you know, six confirmations you've used, you know, for decades or something like that, but usually don't use that, that concept with, um, acupuncture. And then to pull that into acupuncture, sometimes it's, it's really, you already have such a feel for these principles and then have them all together in, in one system. I think it, it, it's really, it's really helpful for people in clinic. I think this is one of the things that really drew me in at the beginning was how the six confirmations were so intertwined with the five phases. And there was a bunch of stuff that I've studied with herbal medicine that it's like I already had this, uh, like these patterns or ideas in my mind laid down for how things work. And, And I would think that way when I was doing herbs, but I didn't think that way when I was doing acupuncture. And then all of a sudden, I've got this way of doing acupuncture with this, these other maps that I had. And I didn't know that I could use these other treasure maps that I had to do acupuncture. But it turns out that I can. I, I want to ask you a few questions. So this, this is about some spaces. You know, this is hilarious, right? Because I remember first calling you about two years ago as I was trying to learn to use this system. And having had some problems and going, oh, man, can you help me understand some stuff? Because um, evidently there's some power in this because I've messed some people up. And uh, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. It was it really was stunning. Just the problems that I caused for some patients inadvertently. And, and that whole idea that I somehow picked up along the way that acupuncture is inherently harmonizing. You can't really mess people up. That went out the window super fast. But here I am two years later, there, I feel like there are pieces of it that I understand pretty well. So for example, the interaction of the Yang Ming and the Tai Yin, right? Whether we're talking about 
the large intestine and the spleen, that counterbalance, or we're talking about the stomach and the lung. I feel like I've got that down pretty well. I can ride that bicycle, right? And I can do some tricks with it. The one that I don't quite grok at this point, and I feel like it, it's one of these things where I feel like my understanding of it, it it's like it uncloaks and, and I kind of see how this counterbalance works. And then it becomes more fuzzy and I can like see pieces of it, but I can't see the whole system. And that counterbalance is the small intestine and the kidney. I'm wondering if you can go into this with me a little bit because I get it that the kidney is about consolidating and the, and the small intestine is about dispersing. And, and especially the small intestine is great for moving chi and blood. But like seeing them as this continuum that goes from one into the other, like I can see how the large intestine goes into the spleen. I can, I can see that entire continuum. Someone walks into my office, I, I can put them on that continuum. That's not hard. But kidney, small intestine, I feel like I, I'm going across stepping stones across a stream. And sometimes I get my feet wet. <laughs> that, that's a great image. Um, I, I think uh, when we start looking at small intestine kidney, it is uh, less physical for us to look at. When we, we look at uh, Yang Ming and Tai Yin, there's a lot of physical things for us to look at. And, and that's, that's really guiding for us. But when we start looking at just more functional things like uh, small intestine and kidney, it's a little bit is is less apparent to us physically to to grasp and then uh, you're right i mean that that's the principal aspect they're both fire and water and um and so the yin organ is going to consolidate that fire and water and the yang organ is going to disperse that fire and water so that that that, that mm. you're exactly right on the principles and then seeing it right I still we, we talk a lot in the classes and the the still is really guiding for me is uh you know, attractive sexual people with the kidney excess and less attractive uh, people that have infertility and things like that uh, would be kidney deficient. So that, that's still really guiding for me. And, and we talk a lot in the class, some people have a problem with beauty, but uh, you can look for symmetry, physical symmetry, facial symmetry, and things like that uh, is going to be really associated with the kidney excess. Also, you know, uh, again, you can't see it, but you, you can see it manifesting is really concerned with self, uh, with, with kidney excess. And then extreme uh, uh, kidney deficiency is actually so little regard for yourself that you're actually suicidal. So that, again, you have to, there's nothing apparent in the person's uh, physical nature, but you'll be able to pick up on these things uh, when you're interviewing the patient. So there's this aspect with the kidney that is about I'm here and I know I'm here and I got the resources to be here and I can flourish in this life here on this planet and the small intestine type person you're going to be the opposite of that they're not they probably have low self-esteem or at least not a very good self-image of themselves and they may and, and they're questioning should I even be here so they are yeah. whereas the kidney person is very consolidated in themselves. A person who leans more toward a small intestine excess, which of course is the same as a kidney deficiency, Saam so speak, kidney deficiency, not TCM, yes. kidney deficiency, would, they'd be having a really rough go with being here. They're not sure if they even should be here. 
Now, the thing that I'm curious about this, all right, is, and again, I mean, here we're looking at kind of a psycho-emotive aspect. I want to see if I can hook this into physicality. And maybe there's not a connection, but I keep thinking there must be. So let's noodle on this. Holding aside for the moment the psycho-emotive aspect, which you may or may not see in somebody, what about the people simply on a physical level? They've got blood stasis. They've got a sore shoulder. They've got pain somewhere. And the small intestine is a fantastic go-to for pain, especially if it's up in the shoulders where the small intestine runs. It can be amazing. And yet, sometimes we'll get people in there, you know, they're attractive, they're symmetrical, they're, you know, quite happy and good in their life. And yet, oh yeah, they're happy and they're good in their life and we're going to use the small intestine. That'd be a fine time to use the small intestine. They could use it anyway. Okay. All right. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is where the Sa'am thinking, I'm still doing it, right? I start going down a road and I go, oh no, wait, now I see it. Here's the way I wanted to say it. You've got a person... They don't have a good sense of themselves. They don't take good care of themselves. They've got this problem with their shoulder and they've got some blood stasis and you want to move that blood stasis. Small intestine's a great way to do that, but they're deficient in their kidney energy. They're a little bit more excess in their small intestine energy. So help me think about how that hangs together. Yeah, so as a clinician, you, you need to decide which one needs to be supplemented more. Say, say they're just uh, massively uh, kidney deficient, even though they have uh, blood stasis on the small intestine channel trajectory, like you were saying, for your example, it's quite possible that you've, you've assessed that the kidney deficiency is so uh, strong that before you can address that shoulder, you might have to supplement the kidney and then come back later, once, once you've kind of shored up the kidney, then to supplement mm. the small intestine. Um, it's possible that even though the small intestine is really needed to be addressed right now, uh, the kidney is so weak though, you, you can't really do that until you, until you bring, bring these up to balance. But th again, that, that's, that's a difficult part about being in clinic, right? You always have to just be assessing, right? Where these relative, um, where these relative ratios are. And if there's a huge ratio, even though there's like an acute need for supplementing the small intestine, you might, you know, if you've diagnosed, you know, uh, the patient's coming to see you for infertility, there's massive asymmetries, they're, uh, you know, we're just stack everything on top of them. They, they tend towards suicidal thoughts and things like that. Exactly that scenario, I would supplement kidney, even though the chief complaint might be shoulder pain along the small intestine channel that's due from, to trauma and so old blood stasis there. I would still take care of the constitutional massive disharmony, a couple of supplements of the kidney, and then address the shoulder. That's how I do it. And um, yeah, it, it's, clinics often like that, right? You know, both need to be addressed and then you have to decide which one. Usually like that. Yes. W w which one do you need? And then the experience will help you with that, you know, and then also just if the, like, like the scenario I laid out, if there's just massive amounts of uh, the shoulder uh, pain with the, with the blood stasis is the only thing we're seeing to supplement small intestine and everything else is on the... Uh, that we need to supplement kidney on the other side, all the other symptoms and signs, then yeah, you, you, that, the, that's the way, the body's way of telling you that that's what you need to address first, the preponderance of, of symptoms and signs on that, in that uh, organ system.
everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Right. I mean, it's, it's very rare that we see textbook sorts of situations walk in. And, you know, again, I mean, I can't help but bring herbs in from time to time. You know how I am about this. But this is one of the things that mm -hmm. we see a lot with herbal medicine. So we're looking, okay, they've got this thing here. And maybe what they have is an excess in a certain place. But the deficiency underneath it is so profound you can't get to that excess until you've boosted them up a bit so that they've got the vitality that you can address that. Yes. So that actually makes perfect so, sense now that you put it that way. Yeah, but to, to, to complicate our scenario uh, further, let, let's say they have, even leaving aside that all those kidney signs we saw, uh, let's say they're, say, 400 pounds overweight with really moist, uh, sweaty skin, right? So then you, you might have to... You might have to go in and deal with the uh, Yang Min tie-in scenario before you could even get to the kidney, before you can get to the small intestine. You know, so again, whatever um, I think uh, Kristen from the forum coined this right is like whatever the grossest thing in the room is, right? That, that that's a great way of uh, that's a great way of phrasing what I've been trying to say for a long time. That's where you have to start, and. Fortunately, uh, as clinicians, the most out of balance thing is usually the easiest thing to see because everything's grouped in that area. So that, that's really the place to start, um, especially if there's a lot of imbalance. If there's just minor imbalances and then uh, blood stays in the small intestine channel, then you know right to, what to do right away. But like mm -hmm. the scenario I just laid out, you actually should supplement large intestine to deal with that uh, spleen excess first because it's so gross. So I, I often think of the phrase, the elephant in the room. Yes, that's good right? too. That, that, that thing that is so obvious, and yet w when people use that term, elephant in the room, it's the thing that's obvious, but often people are not paying attention to it. And I think we see this with our patients, that there's something that very grossly stands out to us. They're not paying any attention to it at all. No, man, it's this knee pain I have here. Right? Or it's his shoulder pain or whatever it is that they, that they came in with. Uh, and it's up to us to see, well, for me as the practitioner wanting to help you with that thing that, that you say you want help with, what's the thing that stands out to me the most? What's that elephant in the room that, that they may not even be talking about? Yes. And a lot of times, even though you're not directly addressing it, supplementing large intestine will help that small intestine uh, 
channel trajectory pain anyways because you make the overall system better you you rebalance the the most grossest imbalance in the body and then the body functions much better and then can clear that blood stasis on its own a lot of times right so like i said theoretically you would have to come back and supplement kidney and then supplement small intestine but a lot of times you know if you get exactly the right the grossest thing in the room treat that then uh then you know get some dominoes going for you so you don't have to knock over every domino individually yeah i've heard you say this a lot and you know i'm a little bit of dull wood sometimes so it, it takes time to to sink in and like really get it this thing that you talk about that if you if you take care of one if you think about the meridians as a wheel think of the channels as a wheel you take care of the grossest thing the whole system cannot help but get better and probably because i'm a westerner and you know my my training, I, well, you know, I was trained in Chinese medicine, so they're trying to teach me to think in a circular fashion, but it really has taken me time to learn to think in a circular fashion. It's very easy to, to look at something and go, oh, I, I'm going to go directly at that thing, because that's the thing the patient wants, and I want the patient to feel happy, and I want them to, to get some relief. It's a little counterintuitive at first to go, if I can just balance the system. I mean, to really believe that, it sounds really nice on paper. And I remember, you know, as a student thinking, oh, it's so cool, we can harmonize the system, the system will take care of itself. But guess what? I didn't believe it back then. I thought it sounded nice. I didn't believe it. I'm coming around to it. Yeah, I mean, but it doesn't always work. Like I said, sometimes you do have to go and knock over each domino individually. And um, so that's, you know, that that's, that's a sort of frustrating thing about clinic. Even if you get it exactly right, sometimes just the, the, the state of the patient, the overall constitution, things like that, they're just not strong enough to take even your totally correct diagnosis and just run with it and knock all the dominoes. So you just have to knock over each domino individually. The nice thing is, I mean, you can make progress, but just, just slower that way. Well, so, sometimes it takes a while to get things worked out. And especially for many folks that come to see acupuncturists, they've, they've probably been working on things for a while it's, or they wouldn't have come in our door. Mm. Um, what I'm really taking away from this conversation today is to be attentive to whatever underlying weaknesses there may be that need to be strengthened a bit before the body will have enough chi that you can go at the other things more directly. I, I like the idea that, oh, the diagnosis is correct. Here's where the problem is. And there's this other background thing going on. And let's not forget to include it. Trick is to find out which one's primary. Right. A couple of decades in clinic that will help you. Thank you. That's very reassuring. You know, we, we were talking the other day about how clinic is often kind of like a mixed martial arts fight that you know what i mean it's like it's like okay i got this grappling thing down but the other person it's like okay i'm being grappled but man i got some kicks that are going to get me the hell out of this mess you know and and so right. you know they do one thing it's like and i feel like this is a practitioner it's like okay i think i got a handle on this all right i got this problem in a headlock and then you know something else happens and now i'm down on the mat it just seems that we constantly have to be attentive and adaptable moment to moment in clinic because I don't know about you, but once I start to feel a bit complacent about what I'm doing, I just know I'm going to get taken down. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Complacency. And then also like reliance on uh, pretty theories, right? That, that Mm. Yeah, I I heard about this like an when MMA first started, right? They had a whole bunch of like different uh, like kung fu traditions and all these kind of things, and then they all you know you got to just go in the ring, right, with whatever you had, and then you quickly learned right what worked and what didn't work because there weren't too many rules, and uh, so then you could see like different styles had more you know, we're, we're effective there. Again, you, you could imagine like, oh, I can project chi and I can do so many things and defeat all my opponents. But then when you go into an MMA cage, right, that's, you know, this is a little bit like being in clinic, right? You can have all these pretty theories, these thoughts and things like that. But what about the clinical results? It, it's got to be pragmatic theories. It's got to really serve. It's got to help you to help the patient. And if it doesn't, then uh, it has to be discarded. Otherwise, it's just distracting in the ring, and and you're just going to get pummeled. Yep, get your nose broken while you're at Mm. it. So the theory piece seems important in that it gives us kind of a roadmap. It gives us some ways of thinking about how things work. And, you know, one of the really interesting things about Chinese medicine is there's, like, lots of different theories, And the difficult thing about Chinese medicine is that there's lots of different theories. And so how do you know which one might be useful in any given moment? Right. Uh, I think that the nice thing, again, this just comes back to clinical experience. It, it feels like now I almost never see totally brand new patients, right? I've seen those patterns that are, are patients are coming to see me so many times. So then you just start to recognize reliable pattern manifestations and then just treat those. I think that's really helpful. You know, I, I wish we could just bottle this and give to young practitioners, you know, a bottle of clinical experience. Unfortunately, this is, you just have to be in the trenches for a while to, to get these. But I mean, really, that's the reliable things for me. I've seen that type of pattern before. I, I recognize those, even this is a brand new patient to me, I recognize those patterns, and I know how to prioritize and how to treat those patterns. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the theories can be useful in that they, that we refine them through our experience. So when certain people show up, we can go, oh, I recognize this. This patient rhymes with these other 200 patients that I've had yeah. that respond well to a particular treatment. And like we were talking about before, prioritizing them too, right? When you see like a gross pattern that's just completely out, and you've seen that so many times with other people, you know that's where you need to start at least. Start with the elephant in the room. Yes. I always, uh, I always want to apologize to the listeners, Michael, because you and I, whenever we have a conversation, we just keep circling back to the principles, the principles. And so uh, I apologize for anyone tuning in, looking to hear something really exciting. Uh, I don't think we have much to offer in that area. I trained in Aikido for a number of years. Mm. This was a while back. And one of the things at first that really bothered me was like, you know, in the beginning, you go over some of the basics. It's like every Aikido practice session, you're going to start with some basics. And it took a while to realize that the basics, you can do the basics every day and it will teach you something new Mm -hmm. if you are attentive to it. And so I don't know why that wouldn't be any different for other kinds of cultivation type practices, of course, which medicine is. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah, so here we are at at that. Uh, Let's take these basics and and play with them a bit. This is uh, the middle of June 2020, as I was saying. Remember the good old days when all we had was a pandemic? You know, that was like 
just a couple months ago, and now we've got like the fabric of our country really being challenged. And what I'm hearing from a lot of people is this like sense of battle fatigue. It seems that people are being traumatized in all kinds of different ways. And I'd love to get your thoughts on using the using the principles, using the basics here, how we can think about helping people when it feels like their world has come out from under them in a span of time as short as just a few months. Hmm. Yeah. Again, we should always look at uh, how they're being traumatized and how that's manifesting in their bodies. That's the most important thing. But some things to, to look for, right? People a lot of times seem like they're losing their root. So supplementing pericardium is a really good idea to have in the forefront of your mind right now to give people a little bit more root. seems like people are getting really swayed around quite a bit. Fear is a, is a big factor. So supplementing heart is really a reasonable thing to, to be in the forefront of your mind to, to look and see if you can find some way to help patients with that. Trauma itself, if it's embedded in the patient, definitely for physical trauma, we supplement with small intestine, but also emotional trauma, anything that's just really stuck and you need to start moving through small intestine something to think about. That's, that's a couple of channels that just come to my mind uh, right away. But again, each unique person, how they're manifesting the times right now in their body, that will show you how to work with them. So we're back to the principles. There's nothing, there's nothing fancy here. There's no tricks up the sleeve. Uh, I wish there were. I, I wish I, I knew some tricks and, uh, and some really reliable uh, things that we could just do always work the same, but uh, unfortunately I don't know them. With, um, how do I phrase this? Because I want to stick with this trauma thing for a moment. So one of the things that I think I've been noticing in this time is that there are people who have a challenge. We could call it trauma. You know, some difficulty arises. And it kind of weakens them. And they... It's like it, it sticks in them and they become more fragile. They become brittle in a sense. And the trauma really takes something away from them. There are others who have some kind of challenging thing. You could call it trauma. They end up getting stronger. There's something about their use of agency or something in their personality or... I don't know, something in their experience. I'm not sure what it is, but they end up becoming more resilient from having had difficult experiences. And I'm wondering if you're seeing any of this and, and, and how the Sa'am perspective might have something to say about this. Yeah, I think the um, people that get a hormetic response to this kind of trauma, right, we, we don't see too much because they don't really need our help, right? They're just getting better. They, they have enough resources uh, when this trauma comes that, that it makes them stronger. A little bit like um, if you want to get muscles, right, to really uh, damage your body and then have, you know, have enough resources to really build your body really strong again. Th those patients, we, we tend not to see because they're, they're just... Uh, they have enough internal resources that they can get stronger with whatever assault comes at them. So mostly we, we see the, the first example, like you were saying, right, where, where they're actually damaged and not recovering on their own. They don't have a hormetic response. They have just, just pure damage. 
And uh, like how you were saying about that too, especially with the sadness and grief, I should have mentioned this before too, there's so much in sadness and grief right now. So supplementing lung in, in the sound system does supplement chi and it can deal with some of that sadness and grief. So that's really reasonable. Also, another thing I, I like to think about, especially in the summer months, um, if people really are listening to this in June, is I, I really do like to supplement liver at this time of year just to counterbalance the climate. And also, I think people do need a little bit of shielding right now. There's so much uh, traumatic things coming at people all the time that, uh, you know, videos that just get looped and things like that. People do need, I think, a little bit of shielding from that. So supplementing liver would be really reasonable too. I, I often think of the liver and, and that shielding aspect of the liver as giving people a little bit of, yeah, I don't, I don't give a damn. I could care less. And sometimes that's helpful to be able to to take, like you were saying, to take the edge off that tape reel that's running through your mind about something that's really got you stirred up. It'd be really nice if that could just be dampened down. Yes, especially with really sensitive patients and um, in so much uh, trauma, uh, even even if they don't experience it themselves directly, then, you know, through media and things like that, it just seems like just so much trauma right now. So the really sensitive patients, I always want to kind of protect with uh, supplementing liver to shield them. It's not like they're getting the me- not getting the messages that they need to understand now uh, about uh, racial justice and things like that. But hammering them over and over again, it's not going to make them get it more. It's just going to damage them. The other thing that I love about supplementing the liver for a situation like this is the kind of way that difficult emotions will drain the heart and it will drain the blood, right? It takes... It takes a real toll on the blood to process things emotionally, mm-hmm. right? The spirit really feeds, the shun really feeds on the blood. And if it's taking a hit on, you know, right, left, upside down, 24-hour news cycle, you could see it as a kind of blood deficiency Yes, that happens as a result of all the emotional processing. Yes, that's a good point. So to be able to bring more blood into this situation is very helpful. And, and for the psalm system, the... Um the organ that counterbalances all that fear is the heart. So yeah, anything we can do to, to strengthen up the shun in the heart, I think would be really helpful at this time, you know, this time what's going on. It, it, you know, it's funny. We were just talking about it a moment ago that, uh, that there's these basic principles. And, you know, I mean, sometimes I think, okay, there's these basic principles. They've got to run out at some point. I mean, life is complicated. It seems like if we can figure out what's primary and what's secondary, it's like there's 52 cards in a deck of cards, but there are almost infinite combinations with those 52. That's a great analogy. And also when I was learning the system uh, from my teacher, I always thought, well, this will capture some clinical reality, but I'll have to need, you know, some other ways of capturing this. You know, these, these simple things that he's explaining to me, this can't capture everything. And then just over the years, right, I just see over and over again, this captures so much things we can see. Because every, like, like you said, uh, the combinations of hot and cold, the combinations of wet and dry, uh, the combinations of in and out. Uh, ascending, descending, all these combinations, it's just permutations of the same principles. So it's so nice to be able to approach these things from principle standpoint, because otherwise it's so easy to get caught up in like your analogy with all the cards, right? To look at all the cards and what other people have and things like that. Whereas if you can just look at uh, using your example, like the suits, if you could just focus on the suits, that's so helpful for for clarifying things in in clinic, which is already so difficult on its own, right? So it's so nice to have a guiding, guiding principles so you can manage all the 
the basic chaos that you see in clinic? Clinic is chaotic. It's, um, I mean, I, I know we've joked about this for a while now. Is clinic easier or hard? <laughs> it's hard. No, no, right? one's ever, no one's ever answered uh, easy to that, actually, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that the consensus is clinic is really difficult. So, so you, need, you need some guidance there, right? When, the, when that's the strong winds of chaos are flying around in your clinic, you need some principles of wh- where, how and where to start. And that principles really, uh, they come in handy when that, in those chaotic situations. Me too. And one of the things I'm picking up from our conversation today, I, I, I want to circle back on this, is that you want to look for areas of deep deficiency. Right? I mean, there's areas of excess, but it's, and then you want to be able to make sense of, okay, we're looking at the excess here, we're looking at the deficiency here. If there's much more deficiency than excess, you probably want to really start with boosting up what's deficient first. I mean, especially if any treatment that you do is going to call something from the body. I think I'm learning something new here, actually, from this conversation. I'm going to go try it out in clinic, but let me just ask you about this. I think I need to pay more attention to where people are deficient and make sure that they're boosted up before I go headlong into trying to, you know, air quotes here, fix that thing that they came in with. Right. I think it's a, it's a delicate balance. And, and the nice thing about this system, right, is that we, we recognize the two sides of the same coin, excess and deficiency. It's the exact same uh, thing. So you, you, can, you can focus on the excess and then just uh, think about how can I counterbalance that. Or you can look, at, look for just the deficiency and just supplement that. I'll, often I do that myself, right? I'm always looking for the deficiency because I'm always ready to use the four points to supplement. Very rarely do I have four points to drain. Um, so that, that's mostly how I'm looking in clinic. Yeah, what's the, weakest, what's the weakest spot on, what's the weakest link in this chain? And if I can just strengthen that up, then everything will get better. And then I don't really, I mean, the excess uh, qualities that I see in the clinic, that guides me towards the deficiency. But I try not to, uh, I'm more, always more looking for the, what's, what's the most efficient. I find... For me, it's often easier to see the excess than to see the deficiency. That being said, we can find the excess and that can lead us to the deficiency. Sure, yeah. Sometimes it's just like easier to see something that's convex than concave. Hmm. Uh, but we could really look at either side of it and, and, and work from there. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just super focused on this, this deficiency thing right now. Maybe because there's so many people that are so worn down and so deficient at this moment in time. It just seems very apparent to me. Mm. That's what I like about so much from the system, right? You Just four points, you're going you're gonna to really try and give something. So for the deficient patients, this is a great, a great place to start. Like say constitutionally deficient. Say they're just constitutionally deficient or acutely deficient, right? It's so nice to be able to give something uh, than take something away. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. 
These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I've heard you say this a lot, that it's better to give people something than to take something away. And I mean, just think about, you know, human beings in the way that we are. If you're having a rough go, it's nice to get a hug from your spouse hmm. rather than have them tell you about something that, well, you ought to do this because then you're going to feel better. Hmm. You know, it, it, it's better to, to be kind of boosted up a little bit, to be kind of held, to be nourished to be supported and you know and once you have that the rest of this system does become much more resilient because we have these resources within ourselves it's just a matter of getting them activated hmm. and I, I think about you know man I might get called out here but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it anyway so in Western culture generally speaking I'm just gonna say generally speaking if somebody wants to help you get better at something, they'll often try to be supportive of, of what you're doing and, and recognizing the things that you're doing well. Chinese culture is kind of the opposite. At least this has been my experience from living in China. Often in Chinese culture, criticism is seen as, as a kind of support. I am helping you by criticizing you because that's going to help you to get better. And in the West, we, we often will do that a different way. And so I th think also with our treatments, there's an aspect where we're, we're kind of giving and supporting rather than like wagging our finger and trying to take something away. And, and human beings process those two things in different ways. Right. And I, I was thinking about actually both are appropriate at different times and the, the four point combination, right? Exactly. We're, we're actually supplementing two points and draining two points. So that's the East and the West, you know, wh whatever strategy they take, we, we combine those equally in each four point combination. Overall thrust is for, you know, like both cultures would agree, you want to, you want the person to be better. So uh, by a little bit of like criticism and a little bit of support, you know, two points support, two points, two points of criticism, that those organ systems are just way too exuberant. So we got to criticize them a little bit. And these organ systems, they really need a hug, right? That, that's, yeah, I guess that's, that's two ways of thinking about the four point combinations. Yeah. Again, I'm just, I'm so struck today as we're having this conversation about really attending to the deficiency. It hasn't landed with me in, in quite the same way before. We'll have to see. I'll keep you posted on how that pans out. Okay, yeah, that's, that's good. I, there's, if we're clinicians, there's always something to think about, always something to develop a little bit further. I, I thought of one more thing about this. Uh, our analogy kind of breaks down, though, because uh, for the Saham system, we would give a hug to the Jingwell points, and everyone agrees that's not a hug. Well, so the Jingwell points are interesting. They are, I mean, they're strong. They're really strong. And yeah, it's not a gentle, I mean, it's not like liver eight. 
in terms of like being easy and being supportive. And, and yet, the thing that I found about doing the Jingwell points is if it's what the body really needs, it'll be a shock for a moment, but then things can really settle out for people if it's the right thing at the right time. Yes, that, that's true. I, I agree. Yes, ultimately they'll be uh, happy, you know, if that's the right combination. But I was just thinking about uh, hugging points and then uh, scolding points, and I was thinking uh, uh, it, it would be hard to <laughs> hug a Jingwell point. That's that's only the point of that too. But yeah, that, that's definitely the the patient will forgive you for those Jingwell points if you've got exactly what they need and you've delivered it in a really clear manner to their body. They almost instantaneously forget the pain of the Jingwell point when whatever pain they had, uh, mental, emotional, physical pain, starts to recede in their body. They just completely forget that Jingwell point. I, I, the analogy is not going to work for hugs for Jingwell points. So that's, that's the only thing I wanted to say. You know, let's, let's stick with it for a moment because I've learned something about needling Jingwell points here in the past two years. Because when, when I first started doing this, I was pretty, it's like, oh, maybe I want to learn a different system. This is going to take a lot of Jingwell points. And I hadn't needled Jingwell points a lot because, you know, Jingwell point. Here's what I found about Jingwell points. First of all, I would have to, in the beginning, like talk to myself, like really watch myself talk. It's like, uh-oh, Jingwell point. It's like, Michael Max, shut up. You're the acupuncturist. Needle that thing. Just get in there and needle it. <laughs> like give myself a pep talk. And initially, that's how I was doing Jingwell points. I like give myself a pep talk. It's like you're the you're the professional in the room, Michael Max. Needle the damn Jingwell point. And then what I discovered after that was, especially because I would see that it was helpful, I realized that if I was okay with needling the Jingwell point, the patient was much more likely to be okay with it. If I went into it with this sense of like, oh God, I don't know, but I'm do the best I can. It'll suck for a moment. I would get a different reaction from the patient. I would have a different feeling in my own body. If I go into it from the point of view of, this is going to be really helpful, and I'm the pro here, and this is just what a pro does, and you just do what you got to do, because it's going to be helpful. And it seems to me, it's number one, it, the needles go in easier from my perspective, and I think it goes in a lot easier from the patient's perspective. A lot of it has to do with us. How grounded are we? How congruent are we? Are we good with it? Because if we're good with it, it's like parenting a child, right? If you're good with something, the, the kid's probably going to be good with it too. Yeah, patients and kids can sense if you're authentic or not, right? Uh, we, 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 have to, we have to admit that, yes. The patients can really sense if you, if you have a lot of confidence in your diagnosis. and you, you, That's why I, it's such an uphill battle for new practitioners, right? It's so difficult when you're first starting because you have to kind of project confidence, but you don't... You, you need to get clinical experience, but in order to get clinical experience, you have to start somewhere. So it's that's a really uphill battle. But especially you've been doing this for a while, right? Then you just you have a lot of confidence, and everything just does go quite a bit. The, the patients can sense that. Um, especially they're they're hyper aware. They're laying prone on the table and about to get pain. So that you've really got their attention. So if you, if you can embody confidence and you know genuine confidence and you in certitude of what you're doing, then yeah, that, that's going to just permeate the room, and the patient will undoubtedly sense that. Again, that that piece about when you're clear with what you know you're doing, it really makes a big difference. I don't think it's the same as intention. I, know, I hear people talking about intention a lot. Ooh, acupuncture is about intention. It's about E. And, you know, maybe, I don't know. Uh, what I 
have discovered is if I feel like I am seeing clearly what's going on for somebody, then it feels like the actions that come out of that clarity are more helpful. Yeah, 100%. And the beauty of the Psalm system is I feel clear a lot more of the time than I used to. Right. And the, the, the thing about the Psalm system, though, if you uh, trick yourself into feeling clear about something, clinic will yank that away from you quickly. Robust, quick clinical feedback really hones that clarity. You, you can't fool yourself. That's right. Well, and, and again, you were talking earlier about, am I taking and putting a mental framework on my patient or am I seeing what's there? Mm. And yeah, you can have this really nice theory of how things are working. I have it all the time and I'll do a treatment and it clearly is wrong. And uh, every time that happens, I just think to myself, man, look at that. Another great idea proven wrong by reality. <laughs> yes. Uh and then you just take the needles out and do something different. Yeah, it's coming back to our MMA thing, right? You could you, you could go into the ring thinking, I'm just going to really project my chi and uh, defeat this opponent. And then next thing you know, you're bloodied up with a headlock on the, uh, on the, uh, on the mat there. And then you, you know, uh, yes, that that's... Uh, yes, I'm going to have to kick him in the temple now. Just like that. Well, you know, huh, maybe I should think more about going into clinic as a mixed martial arts. <laughs> I mean, just being that, having that kind of nimbleness. And attentiveness, yes. it's not a bad idea. It doesn't really fit with the idea of a gentle acupuncturist, though, does it? No, well, yeah, not really. I mean, if we think we're uh, wrestling a disharmony or disease process, I think that that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking about too, right? You, again, you, you find yourself in a chokehold, right? You're not quite sure what to do. You, you have to think quickly, right? And you have to pivot and you have to go to different ideas. So that analogy is actually pretty good. You know, you're, the spotlight's on you and, you know, whatever skill sets you brought into that ring, then you have to use it. And then uh, if you have a theory or you have a plan to go one direction and everything's going really poorly, then the quicker you can uh, change plans and switch around what you what were just starting to do, then that's, that's going to get you you uh, less likely to get choked out within the first few seconds if you can switch plans if, if, if everything looks like it's not going poorly well and it's so helpful for a practitioner to be able to do this right it's not helpful to do a treatment and then wonder well I'm going a whole week and I wonder how people are doing it's really useful to be able to get feedback within the first couple of minutes how's this going I mean just in a you know in a regular clinic that's going to be helpful in a community clinic, I would think, or if you're seeing a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in some kind of rapid fashion, it's even more important to know if you've got it right or not. I, I think I shared with you before, I did uh, a couple uh, hours a week at my uh, clinic. I would, I would see, um, you know, anyone who would show up. And so, yeah, I, I would have to work really rapidly. And that was great because also I, I didn't have much time for the intake. And so it was great to just kind of rapid test uh, point combinations. I did this for years, you know, rapid point, co point combinations and uh, really uh, focus on the face and then see right away, you know, was that going to go well? Because you, you had to just keep moving so quickly. Um, you know, we waiting rooms packed, you know, you, you, you can't just. Uh, yeah. So anyways, uh, circling back on what I tried to start to say, rapid clinical feedback hones your diagnostic skills quickly. It does. And then as your diagnostic skills get better, your, your results get better. I, I found this to be true as well. I mean, sometimes you could spend a lot of time with somebody, but sometimes I feel like I'm sharper if I've got some constraints in time. It's like, I got to get to this. 
And and rather than like noodling on this and noodling on that, it could be this, it could be that. Maybe we could do that. You know, da 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 da. What you what is it? It's like okay, I got like seven minutes. What is it? It's like doing wind sprints. I mean, it really it it'll build you up and it'll build your capacity in certain ways. I was just going to say anything that can help uh, focus your mind, right? Like that. Yeah. So if you have time constraints, like especially in a community clinic, you really have time constraints. And so that, that just focuses your mind and you're just looking for, you know, what's the most important thing? What's the weakest link in the chain, right? And then how quickly can you find that? Treat, observe, everything looks good, and then move on, right? That You can move really rapidly that way. And then, um, like I said, the clinical experience, there's just, there's no, there's no substitute for that. So especially if you're seeing a lot of patients an hour, then that clinical experience comes quicker. And, and, and like how I did it with my clinic, right? Just two hours a week, I would do that. And so that would kind of do the wind sprints. And then, um, I'm not sure about my analogy, maybe marathons with uh, with like new patients. I would give them an hour. So there's plenty of time to discuss anything they needed to. What's that? Cardio, yeah. Long-term cardio workout. I would do, cardio yeah. workout. Please, uh, listeners, uh, please excuse so many analogies this podcast we used. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so I, I think it's good to do both, right? Probably like cross-training like your body. Same thing being a clinician, like working really quickly and then working slowly, working quickly, slowly, I think that that really hones you well. I don't think we can get away from analogies. Our medicine is, it's kind of visual, it's kind of physiological, there's there's aspects of deep resonance in it. And I think, especially with the Sa'am, we're kind of working with these gestalts, and gestalts often have this aspect of, of image, analogy, and metaphor. And so I think there's a place for that. I, and I think there's a very important place for that. Now, the question becomes, am I using an image or analogy that's helpful? Am, am I actually seeing reality? Or again, am I making up this beautiful idea because it sounds good to me and it fits the theory and it's the way that I like to practice and it's the kind of practitioner that I like to think of myself as being? We can take that and put it on a patient. And if we're wrong, we'll find out very quickly with Sa'am. And if we're right, we'll go, oh, hmm, that worked. I think there's a whole lot of honing our own mental models. And image and analogy are, at least for me, have been gigantic building blocks of this. The question is, am I seeing reality or am I projecting my theory? Okay, so can I, can I answer that uh... I have to ask you another question so then we can answer that que your question. So are you in a chokehold or are you uh, applying a chokehold in clinic? <laughs> That's a great question. So I like to think of myself as applying the chokehold. That being said, there are times when I feel like I'm in the chokehold. And my suspicion is something in between those two might be what's a little bit more helpful. But, it, but at the end of the day, I think that my clarity in seeing the reality of my patient is what's most important. So it's, you know, it, it's a little bit of both. There's a part of me surrendering to the reality of the situation, and that's what makes it better. This is it to really uh, hone, uh, drill down all the way on this analogy, right? Uh, when you're in a chokehold, don't pretend like you're not, <laughs> right? You know that that it, it's a teacher, right? Being in that chokehold is a teacher. 
So don't pretend like you're not in a chokehold. When you're in a chokehold, be in a chokehold. Also, when you get it right, too. Also, when you get it right, too, that, that don't pretend like, oh, you know, maybe I'm in a chokehold. If you really, you're, you're beating your opponent who, in, in this analogy, is a disease process, right? Then, uh, yeah, you, you really need to remember that feeling. I love it. That, that's super helpful. When you're in the chokehold, don't pretend you're not in the chokehold. That really helps. That totally rings true to me. This is what I get for talking to a senior practitioner. I get this kind of, you know, helpful clinical stuff. This is my system, right? This is the system I've decided to dig a really deep well and get some deep water from in this system, right? So I have some experience with this system, right? But then always when I have herbal questions, then I know where to go for the deep well of the herbal system. So yeah, I think it's different. Different people have decided to dig their well at different places in the Chinese medicine. So I think, yeah, it's interesting to talk to these people that have really dug well, you know, deep into one well and uh, see what they have to take. And then you can take that over to, you know, the water you're getting from your well, right? I think it's, here we go with another analogy of the wells. But anyways, uh, it's interesting to talk to people that have have taken a deep dive into one aspect of the medicine and uh, see what they've come up with. Well, and the amazing thing, because it's, it's been around so long and it's such a pluralistic medicine, right? There's, there's, I mean, it's funny, I, you know, we talk about Chinese medicine, but I've heard other people say, like Volker Shai, it's like, well, maybe it's a little more correct to say Chinese medicines, right? There's so mm. many different ways of, of taking a look at this. And yes, if you dig a well deeply, you're probably going to hit some water. Right? The idea is to dig till you get to the water. And some wells are more on the surface. You'll get the water sooner. And some wells you're going to have to go deeper. Probably learn something from that digging. And you get a different kind of water maybe from a deeper well. And I remember getting this in acupuncture school, that there are plenty of different wells in Chinese medicine. There's no one right well. But there might be a right well for a particular condition or a particular situation. And it's helpful to know that this thing that I like to do, this may not be so good here. So let, just let me give you an example. I had someone, it's a little metaphorical, but we'll see if it flies. I had someone calling me about some neurological issues that this person's child was having. And really out of my wheelhouse. I mean, really out of my wheelhouse. And I knew it. And it's like, well, you know, I could kind of take stuff that I know and maybe make it work. Or I could send her to a person. This is what they do. That's all they do. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a, there's a well over there. And I know there's a well over there. I know just enough about it that I can send you over there. But I can't pull water out of that well. And so the beauty and the difficulty of Chinese medicine is... Which tool do we grab and use? You know, either from different traditions or from our own deep well. I heard a senior practitioner say to me when I was in school, right, uh, you're a real practitioner when you start referring out. And I thought, wow, that's, that, that's really something, right? You know your skill set, and then uh, you've looked around to see where you can send that, something that's outside your skill set, where you can send that. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that, that's just really skillful, right? We, we want our patients not to suffer. If we can do it, that's great. If we know we can't, then that's, that, that's great to just try and help them get some help somewhere else. I think, I think that, that's a great use of a practitioner. I've not heard that before. Thank you for sharing that. You know you're really getting to be a practitioner when you start referring out, that you can kind of see the landscape and see where people are know how to direct them to what they need. Hmm. 
More metaphors. Look at that. See, I told you this was a metaphorical medicine. Well, hey, my friend, we should probably wind this down because people are probably getting tired to listen to us jawbone at this point. Yeah, enough of the principles. Because <laughs> I could ask you more about principles, but I know what I'm going to hear back from you. Basics, Michael Max. Yes. Yeah, you hear back from me how my teacher would uh, answer my questions, right? But always going back to principles. Is that what he said? Did he say go back to principles? What did he say? He would say it even more directly. He would say, you know, I'd be asking about some kind of detailed thing and he'd be like, well, is it hot or cold? Oh, man. Especially when you're just getting started, right? It's so it's so easy to get caught up in all the details, all the symptoms, you know, you know, tens of thousands of symptoms and signs, right? It's it's very easy to get caught up in those, and then it's really hard to get back to like the roots of the, you know, the principal level. You're just way down in the leaves area. So yeah, my teacher would just he wouldn't say, oh, let's what about the principles? He would, he would just say, well, is that going in or out of the body, right? Is that ascending or descending? But you know, he wouldn't use the word principles. He would just say, come on, buddy. Love it. Love it. So, and I think this is one of the things that I so appreciate about this is that there is a simplicity to it that does not mean it's simplistic. And there is a simplicity. There's a, there's a way of getting our footing if we've lost our footing. Hot or cold, in or out, deficient excess. Pretty easy to find your footing with those things even if you're just beginning, maybe especially if you're just beginning. I think, yeah, the earlier you can train yourself towards principles, the better, right? Because the, then you can start to recognize them. And then, uh, you know, as, as your career goes on, uh, you have something in the chaos of clinic, you have something to hold on to. All right. Well, as ever, it's been a delight. And I'm curious to see what happens when we sit down two years from now and revisit this again, see what we have to say. Yes, I, I can't imagine uh, from two years ago when, when I had to do my uh, podcast with you in the fetal position. I was in the fetal position. Fortunately, you couldn't see me. It was just audio. Uh, and then uh, now I, I'm seated all the way up and uh, smiling and look at you. So that this is a big change in two years. I can't imagine what another two years will bring. Progress, my friend. Practice makes progress. Uh, bye for now. Michael, thanks so much for the opportunity of uh, letting me talk to you and uh, talk to your listeners. Thank you. When I first started learning some acupuncture, I thought it was mostly a matter of learning a new way of thinking. And while that's true, what I've discovered is that beyond thinking, there's a way of connecting with our patients in a heartfelt way that opened up for me. It's not that I'm trying to do something, but rather this on perspective has me curious about other aspects of my patients' lives that I'd not previously attended to. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.